This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now jump down to verse 16, Genesis 44, 16, 44, 16. Judah said, what shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. And he said, Joseph speaks, he said, God forbid that I should do so. But the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. Now the last verse in and then we're gonna look at verse 33, Genesis 44, 33, 44, 33. Now therefore I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. So this is a history here of the second visit of Joseph's brothers to, Israel, to Egypt. And when you look at what happened here at first glance, it all looks so very strange as far as what Joseph did. And although it's an exciting read, it makes for an exciting read, that's very interesting to read it, Joseph did what he seemed to be doing here just doesn't seem to make any sense. But when you look more closely into it, you see a great plan. There was a great plan that Joseph had. Now, Joseph's brothers, we see there that he had them leave at the crack of dawn there, and as soon as they got out of the town, Joseph pursued them, and very quickly, as it says in verse four, up, follow after the man when thou hast overtaken them. Now we see Joseph here, what he's doing in his plan. When Joseph had engineered and designed that the cup, his silver cup, his silver cup would be placed in Benjamin's sack, that seeing that is a key to understanding the overall plan of bringing his brothers to repentance. When Joseph was at home, when he was way back in Canaan, 22 years earlier than before, what did Joseph have that the other brothers didn't have. He had a coat of many colors, and they envied him from that. So Joseph's goal is to see if his brothers had repented of that sin of envy and jealousy. 
Now, Joseph can't take the hand of the clock and turn it back and see if they had repented of envying Joseph, but Joseph could do something. He could set up a situation where another brother stands in for Joseph. And then Joseph can stand back and see if the brothers envy that brother, and that brother is Benjamin. Benjamin. So what did Joseph make Benjamin to have that the other brothers didn't have? A meal that was five times more than they had. It wasn't that he was particularly, he was five times more hungry. He wasn't bigger, he was smaller. For me, it would have been no problem. Give me five times more, that's. But this was part of Joseph's plan. This was part of his plan. It was like Joseph was giving a coat of many colors to Benjamin, right in front of the brothers. At one table, he sat another table in front of them and he watched them. And he could see if there was any envy, if there was any hatred of Benjamin, like the envy and the hatred that they had against Joseph when he was at home. So Joseph's plan here is all about testing to see, do the brothers still have the sin of envy and jealousy in them? It's marvelous because Joseph has now turned the clock back 22 years and recreated in Egypt at that feast his childhood his childhood days when he was back in Canaan. That's exactly the way it was 22 years ago, except that Benjamin is now playing the role of Joseph, and Joseph will now play the role of Jacob, showering special attention and gifts and honor on Benjamin. And that exact scene of Jacob giving to Joseph the better coat of many colors before all the brothers, that's what's being recreated here. Only instead of a better coat, it's a better portion of food. Now we understand what Joseph was doing during the meal. He's watching, he's scanning, he's carefully looking over each one of the brothers to see, do I see envy, do I see jealousy? Oh, I'll recognize it all right because I saw it when I was little in their home. And in the brothers' response to Benjamin's fortune, his good fortune there, Joseph could read if the brothers had really repented of what they had done to him. So he's recreated the similar situation where one brother is favored, one is honored more than the others, and then he reads the brothers to see, will they yield now to temptation to be jealous and envious of the favored, favored brother? Pretty smart for Joseph to set that up that way. That was part one of Joseph's plan there, to see if the brothers would repeat what they did in Genesis 37.4 when they hated Joseph because they were envious of him because he had the coat of many colors. And the brothers passed the test. They passed that repentance test because they showed no resentment or envy or jealousy to Benjamin because he got five times more food than they got. Now there comes part two of Joseph's plan to test the reality of their change, the reality of their repentance. That's what repentance is. Repentance is a change. Repentance is to be placed in the same situation as you were in the past and not fall to the temptation. So this is what he's doing. He's gonna test them now again. Now there was something that happened in the childhood life of Joseph and they hated him for that and that was that he brought the report and got him in trouble. So in part two of Joseph's plan, Benjamin again is gonna play the role of Joseph, Joseph's gonna play the role of Jacob, and Joseph now has set up a scenario in which Benjamin is gonna get them in quintessential trouble, huge trouble, and then Joseph is gonna watch to see if the brothers end up hating Benjamin for getting them in all the trouble. So let's see what happened here. So what happened? Verse nine, Genesis 44, nine, Genesis 44, nine. They said, with whomsoever of thy servants that be found, both let him die, and we will also be my Lord's bondmen. That's what the brothers said. They said, if you find this cup 
in any one of our sects, then he'll die and we'll become slaves for life. What happened? Verse 12, he searched, began at the eldest, left off the youngest. The cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they rent their clothes and laid every man his ass and returned to the city. Just, Just picture that scene. I mean, every brother is standing there by his sack and letting it be searched. And each brother is thinking, you know, if that silver cup is found in any of the brother's sack, then that brother is gonna be responsible for us to become slaves for the rest of our lives. I mean, you can kind of picture it. A lot of drama here. The oldest to the youngest, they go through the youngest, they go to the oldest, they search, 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 they don't find anything, and you can just see the, the, the brothers getting more and more confident. They say, well, we told you so, you're wasting our time here. And then when they finally come to the last one and the silver cup is found in Benjamin's sack, can you imagine the shock? They can't believe their eyes. There it is, there's that silver cup. And can you imagine how the brothers were tempted to look at Benjamin and say, you just got us in a lot of trouble. How could you do something so stupid as to steal that cup? You just caused us all to become slaves for the rest of our lives. And from what we said, you're gonna be killed. And when it says in verse 13, then they rent their clothes, it shows that how they all knew that Benjamin just got them into a world of trouble for the rest of their lives. And that was Joseph's part two, you got us in trouble test, to see whether they repented or not. So when the brothers come back now to Joseph, Joseph looks very carefully. If any of the brothers looked with blame, looked with hatred on Benjamin for getting them in trouble, and they didn't. And so now Joseph has seen that the brothers have passed the repentance test of part one of the test of you are loved and honored more than us, and Joseph didn't see any envy, and now Joseph is thrilled to see that they passed the part one, and now he's seen that they've passed the repentance test of part two of you got us in trouble. And Joseph didn't see any hatred, any blame of Benjamin. So Joseph is thrilled to see that the brothers have now passed the part two of the repentance test. Now the brothers had said, in verse 10, Genesis 44, 10, 10, that the person who stole the cup should be put to death and they would become slaves. But in verse 10, Joseph, through the steward, because Joseph had rehearsed this with the steward, Joseph, through the steward, does not accept their proposal. He says, I, I accept it, but he changes it. And instead of what, the way they said it, he says in verse 10, Genesis 44, 10, now he said, let all, now also let it be according to your words. He with whom the cup it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. So Joseph has said, the situation will be that the person who stole the cup, he will become the slave and the others will go free. This is the beauty, the wisdom, the elegance of the part three of Joseph's repentance test, where Joseph has set it up so that one brother will be a slave and the others are free to walk, they're free to go. Joseph has again turned the clock back to where now Joseph is playing the role of the Midianites and Benjamin is playing the role of of Joseph. It's more than two decades ago. And one brother has now become a slave, that's Benjamin. And the other brothers are now free to abandon their brother like they abandoned Joseph and walk away. So now by setting up this same scenario where the one brother, Benjamin, will become the slave and the others will go free, Joseph now has the opportunity to see have the brothers repented? Will they act differently? Will they really abandon Benjamin like they abandoned me? 
And so he set up this scenario where Benjamin is gonna become a slave. They can leave, they can leave Egypt. They can abandon Benjamin, just like they left and abandoned Joseph as a slave to the Midianites who carried him down to Egypt. And just look at how the brothers passed so wonderfully the third part of this repentance test in verse 16, when they said, Judah said, what shall we speak? Say unto my Lord, what shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak, or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants. He's already told them, you can go. You can leave, only him. But no, Judah says, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. So in the past, Joseph watched his brothers abandon him to slavery, and he wants now to see if his brothers have changed, if his brothers have repented, and they would not do the same thing again when they're put in a similar situation. So he has created this similar situation, this scenario where only Benjamin will be the slave, and they have the opportunity to walk free and to abandon Benjamin. And Joseph is thrilled to see that the brothers have passed this third part of his repentance test. And when Judah was speaking for all the brothers, he says, no, Judah says, no, we will not abandon Benjamin to be a slave. Benjamin will be a slave, we'll be slaves also. And when Joseph sees that, that the brothers would rather all become slaves than to abandon Benjamin, Joseph is thrilled with the change he sees. And Joseph has seen the brothers really have repented, and they really are not doing the same things that they did in the past when they were put in the same temptation. With his wonderfully designed plan, Joseph has been able to ask the question, have my brothers changed? He's been able to ask the question, have my brothers repented of the sins of envy, hatred, and abandonment? And from executing his plan, Joseph has just set Benjamin up in his place to be envied, hated, and abandoned. And from behind his disguise as the Egyptian governor, Joseph has sat there and evaluated as a judge very carefully and seen they no longer have that. They no longer are harboring those sins of envy, hatred, and abandonment. His brothers have repented, and it was his brother's repentance of the envy, hatred, and abandonment that opened the door of reconciliation with Joseph. It was only after this that Joseph then revealed himself in the next chapter, 45, and said, I am Joseph. No repentance, no re revealing himself. No repentance, no reconciliation. No repentance, no being brought into Egypt and fed and being saved and not perishing. It was because of their repentance that Joseph is now ready to be reconciled with his brothers. And it's because of their repentance that the door of that reconciliation was open. And the same is true for every person. We come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we come as DRS, dirty, rotten sinners. But we must repent of our sins before we're saved. And if it means crying out to God to help us to change, to and I like to use this analogy, but I will anyway, get a divorce from the sin that we married ourselves to, then that's what we have to do. Now, what we've just seen here is an illustration of the importance of repentance, and this is true for everyone today. Unless there is repentance, there can be no reconciliation with God. That's what the Lord Jesus meant when he said in Luke 13, 3, Luke 13, 3, nay, I say, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. 
And if a person thinks that he can continue in his sin and simply receive the Lord Jesus Christ as his savior and he won't be cast into hell, he is wrong. He's dead wrong. He's tragically wrong. Because just as we've seen with these brothers, there has to be repentance before there can be reconciliation. And just as Joseph recreated a scenario that put the brothers in the same temptation, in the same situation that they were in 22 years ago. So when we have sinned, God recreates in our lives a similar situation for us now, just like Joseph did for his brothers. Just like Joseph watched to see if his brothers would behave differently because they repented, so after God has set up in our lives, a similar situation where we sinned in the past, and then God watches us to see, are you gonna behave differently now than you did in the past? What we've seen in these three tests here that Joseph set up shows us what repentance is. Repentance is acting differently than we did in the past when presented with the same temptation. And I, now I know that, that the situation with Joseph was set up wasn't exactly the same in his life with his brothers, but, but let's keep in mind that Joseph is really trying to give the benefit of the doubt to the brothers here. And, he, and he's not setting up these situations for the brothers to fail, he's trying to help them. And so Judah now, he comes forward in verse 16 and he says, what shall we say unto my Lord. He throws himself now on the mercy of Joseph. He doesn't argue, he doesn't try to justify himself. He's not like, I mean, uh, Joseph asked him, what is this deed that you have done? And that's the same question that God asked Adam and Eve after they sinned, he came first to, to Adam and, and he says, you know, what did you do? Did you eat the tree that I told you not to eat of? And, and Adam doesn't throw himself on the mercy of God, but he says, well, the problem is the woman. No, no, the problem is you gave me the woman, such a woman you gave me. That was the problem, that was Adam. And then uh, Eve, when he came to Eve, says, you know, what have you done, Eve? And then she, she didn't accept responsibility. She said, no, the serpent beguiled me. But in this case here, when Judah is faced with the question, what is the thing that you've done? He says, what shall we say? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? In that statement, what shall we say? He's saying, I have no content. I have no content of how to clear myself. In the second statement, what shall we speak? The word Hebrew word there is the word to arrange. Even if I had a contract, a content, I don't even know how to put it together. I don't even know how to say it. And then he, say, he throws up his hands in verse 16, he say, how shall we clear ourselves? With that statement, by the way, Judah's speech here is the most elegant speech in the whole of the Old Testament. It is just beautiful with a charming simplicity to it, a transparency. He's turning himself inside out. It's just a beautiful speech here. But he says, how should we clear ourselves? And with that statement, Judah makes the ultimate confession, I got no way. I've got no way to even clear myself. That's what it looks like when a person repents and comes to the end of himself when a person has nothing to claim to be cleared from his sin. And that's the point that God's waiting for. God's waiting for every person to come to that. That's what it looks like when a person is in contrition. That's what contrition looks like. And God says about contrition in Psalm 51, 17, Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, that's Judah, or a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. In Isaiah 66, 1, Isaiah 66, 1, God says, thus saith the Lord, the heaven's my throne, the earth's my footstool, where's the house you're gonna build to me? Where's the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and all these things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man, 
will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. And when a person is completely broken before the Lord, as Judah was, and by the way, Judah was speaking for his brothers. Very surprising, he wasn't the firstborn, Reuben was. He wasn't the secondborn, Simeon was. He wasn't the thirdborn, Levi was. So how come he stands up there and speaks on behalf of him? Because he's the one who was able. How come the Lord Jesus Christ, who was not born in Jerusalem, who came from a slum town of Nazareth, and who did not come from a prominent family, did not learn at the feet of some great teacher, how is he the king of the Jews? Because that's how God called him. He was anointed to be. But anyways, Judah is standing up, and he's speaking now, and his brothers are looking at Judah, and they're just amazed at what he's saying. They're saying, go, Judah, go. And None of us are gonna try to take your position. Judah, we praise you which is what Jacob said on his deathbed, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Now, Judah now, he's completely broken before Joseph, and so God looks at him and says, that's the person I'm gonna look to, not trying to clear himself. His only argument is for the grace and mercy of God. And this is just like the hymn, The Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. It's very graphic. If a person has something in their hand, like their CV of all their good works, then they can't cling to the cross. So only with nothing in the hand can the cross be clinged to. And that's what he's saying in verse 16 when he says, how should we clear ourselves? He's saying, I have nothing in my hand. I'm clinging to the mercy of Joseph. Now, in the past, the guilt of the brothers, the guilt that they had, what they had there because of what they did to Joseph, it put their lives on a continual track of trying to clear themselves, of lying. They had lies like a bag of M&Ms. You want one? Here's the one. I got another lie for you? That's fine. What did you say? Okay, here you go. Here's a lie. And they were always, for these last 22 years, telling lies. And they were pretty good at it. And they'd done a pretty good job. But now Judah has said, I can't do this anymore because I'm at the end of myself. And he asked three questions to Joseph. He said, what, what, how? His first, what, what shall we say? The content, I don't have it. The second, what, what shall we speak? As I said, speak means arrangement. He says, I don't know how to be persuasive. I don't have any reasonings. I don't have any logic. I don't have anything to convince you with. He has just responded. You know, Judah has responded to Joseph in a staccato, stuttering manner. He's stammering here with this what, what, how, and he's all confessing. I don't have the content of what to say to clear myself. I don't have the style of what to say to clear myself. I don't have the ability of what to say to clear myself. I don't have a strategy for what to say to clear myself. And this is a crystal clear illustration of self-bankruptcy. Judah has just looked at his personal gas gauge and he's seen it's on empty, empty. And he's telling the governor, I just ran out of gas. I can't do any more. And Judah has really laid it on the line. He's saying, we are exhausted of ourselves. We have run out of our own resources. And with that confession there, that's a confession of inner depravity that Paul made in Romans 7:18 when Paul said, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that good I find not. In Romans 7.24, 7.24, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? This is the point where every person has to come to be saved from their sins and have a future with God. And what's so remarkable about what Judah has said here is to just think who's saying this. This is Judah. 
the man of eloquence, the man of great persuasive ability, the man who swayed the brothers not to kill Joseph but to sell him, the man who persuaded his father Jacob to let him be parted with his prized Benjamin. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.